Or if they remove a little dust 
from their cell, they believe with implicit faith that they will receive a reward from the Lord. This is, this is Cashin, um, Book 4 of the Institutes, Chapter 20. And we find in this already uh, something of the little way of St. Therese. It's a marvelous thing to trace the, the um, continuity in the Church and how the Holy Ghost from generation to generation um, deepens the teaching of one generation and the next. And so when Cashin says that even simple things like moving a book or filling a bottle with water or giving somebody to drink or removing a little dust from the oratory or from the cell, they believe with implicit faith that they will receive a reward from the Lord. Nothing is uh, without value in the sight of God. Nothing is insignificant. The little things are important. The monastic life is made up of the little things. St. Gregory says of St. Benedict that he wrote a rule for his monks excellent for discretion. The word discretion does not sound in our modern ears as it would have sounded in the ear of St. Gregory and his contemporaries. Moderns understand discretion to pertain to a way of reserving confidential information or to the freedom given one to take a decision according to the lights one has. But for Cashin and for the ancients, discretion meant the judgment whereby a man wisely sorts out what is right in a given situation, avoiding excess of any kind. Cashin says that discretion is the mother of all virtues, as well as their guardian and regulator. St. Benedict wants to spare the weekly servers weakness, fatigue, and headaches. I find that extraordinary that this great patriarch, this is his greatness. He goes into the details of daily life. He wants to spare the weekly servers weakness, fatigue, headaches, all of which can come from not having eaten or drunk. The servers are to eat and drink so that they may serve their brethren when the hour cometh without murmuring or great labor. This paternal solicitude for the well-being of the brethren is characteristically Benedict. And this is why I insist that some of you have a good breakfast. Some of you need, even in the morning, at breakfast to have meat or eggs or cheese because you need the protein. And if you come to me and explain your situation, there's no problem with giving a brother a more substantial breakfast. Uh, in some monasteries, every day the lay brothers have a different breakfast from the choir monks. The lay brothers have meat, and cheese, and eggs, and all sorts of things, uh, whereas the, uh, the poor choir monks have their, their piece of bread and a cup of coffee. <laughs> so that's, that's a, a, a fine illustration of the principle of Benedictine discretion. Uh, so the machine can't run on nothing. 
and so you have to you have to feed the machine if it's going to if it's going to function properly. So I will never refuse a brother uh, what he needs, especially in the at breakfast. So come to me about that if you have any questions. Um, the liturgical blessing of the incoming and outgoing servers early on Sunday morning, which is the traditional hour for what? Ordinations in Rome. This expresses the quasi-sacramental character of serving in the refectory. St. Benedict may have had in mind the service of the first deacons, who according to Acts 6.2, <coughs> were charged specifically with the service of the tables. Cashin speaks of the blessing of servers at dawn uh, on Sunday. Each one who undertakes these weeks is on duty and has to serve until supper on Sunday, and when this is done, his duty for the whole week is finished, so that when all the brethren come together to chant the psalms, which according to custom they sing before going to bed, those whose turn it is, uh, those whose turn is over wash the feet of all in turn, seeking faithfully from them the reward of their blessing for their work during the whole week, that the prayers offered up by all the brethren together may accompany them as they fulfill the command of Christ, the prayer to wit that it receives for their ignorances, and for their sins committed through human frailty, and may commend to God the complete service of their devotion, like some rich offering. So, Cashin uh, has the week of service um, conclude in the liturgical, quasi-sacramental rite of the mandatum. And the mandatum uh, procures graces uh, in two ways. Graces to the brethren washing the feet, and graces to the brethren having their feet washed. So the service of the table is kind of crowned by the mandatum. St. Benedict speaks also of the weekly uh, mandatum. And Cashin goes on, and so on Monday, after the Mass and hymns, they hand over to others who take their place, uh, the vessels and utensils, with which they have ministered, which these receive and keep uh, with the utmost care and anxiety, that none of them may be injured or destroyed, as they believe that even for the smallest vessels they must give an account as sacred things, not only to a present steward, but to the Lord, if by chance any of them is injured through their carelessness. So again, we have in passion the little way this attention to small things, to the little details of life. Uh, on Monday Thursday, according to a medieval tradition, still observed in some monasteries, the abbot himself, girded in a white apron, serves the brethren at table. This he does in imitation of our Lord, who having taken a towel, girded himself and washed the feet of his disciples. <coughs> During the same meal, the reader, wearing, if he's a priest or deacon, a white stole over his cucula, chants chapters 13 through 17 of St. John's Gospel. 
practice of the reader in the refectory where the kukula is still observed daily in some monasteries because it's considered a sacred function. I saw this myself um, when I visited Downside Abbey in the 1970s. At that time, the reader uh, still wore the kukula in, in the refectory. It was very solemn. The monastic meal has at all times a Eucharistic quality. And as I've said many times before, the very disposition of the refectory suggests that it is a kind of basilica. The great crucifix over the abbot's table, the pulpit for the reader, and the tables arranged in two facing choirs all contribute to making the meal an extension of the Opus Dei. I should like to clarify one practical thing. Um, the profound inclination made before beginning the service and made at the end is made by the first server only, not by the second server. So the first server comes and makes uh, in the middle of the refectory but closer to the abbot's table makes the profound inclination and does the same when he sees that everyone has finished eating and drinking. And that's the signal for me then to, to end.